As a student of Walla Walla University for the past three and a half years, I've had the wonderful privilege and opportunity to sit in these very pews and listen to our very own Dr. Alex Bryan. And today, again, it is my privilege to be able to share with you. So I would like to thank him and thank you for allowing me to borrow the pulpit for a week. You all recognize him. He's that student. He's the one that is always getting 100% on his homework. He aces every quiz. He does well on every test. He is at the top of your class. No matter what happens, he's always right there. As time passes, you begin to notice something a little strange, however. Things are beginning to slip, little by little. Suddenly, he's not at the top of the class anymore. He's struggling when quiz time and test time comes around. And you look and you ask, why? What happened? Why does he begin to struggle now? Or consider a very different reality. Some of you will recognize the name Montgomery Ward. Montgomery Ward was a company founded in the year 1872 that started out as a mail order company, but quickly morphed into a department store. Their competitors included stores like JCPenney, Sears, and Macy's. And those three names, all of you will recognize. However, not nearly as many of you will recognize the name Montgomery Ward. And you ask, why? What happened? Did they just fall off the face of the planet? Or consider another classic example, the railroad industry. In the early 1900s, if you wanted to take a long-distance trip from New York to Los Angeles, from Philadelphia to Dallas, what you would do is you would pack your bags, get ready to go, then go down to the train station, buy your ticket, and head on to your destination. Today, if you wanted to take a long-distance trip, you would get online to American, Delta, United, you'd buy your ticket. A few months in the future, you'd head to the airport and fly to wherever you were going. And you ask, why? What happened to the railroad industry? Why don't we use them for mass transportation anymore of people? Throughout this past week, I've had the wonderful privilege of being able to listen to many of my fellow students and classmates present what they believe focus is. Today, I would like to submit to you that our student, Montgomery Ward, and the railroad industry all struggled with the same issue, and that is focus. I took some time to figure out what focus is. I looked it up in the dictionary. According to the dictionary, focus is a central point as of attraction, attention, or activity. Focus. Focus means putting your mind on one thing without allowing for distractions. Reggie Shaw, 
learned what it meant to lose focus. In the book entitled A Deadly Wandering, Matt Richtel tells Shaw's story. Reggie Shaw was a normal teenager like many others. He grew up in the state of Utah and was a dedicated member of the LDS Church. Like many other young Mormons, it was Shaw's dream to go on a mission. However, due to some personal issues, he had to put that on hold. And so the summer before he was going to go on his mission, he got a job. It was a job that included a lot of manual labor and quite a drive to get to. So every day, he would get up early in the morning, get ready, get in his car, and go to work. Day after day after day throughout the summer. One day, however, would be a little different. As the book says, this day, Reggie got up, got ready, got in his car, headed to work. According to the driver in the truck directly behind him, something strange was happening. He was driving on a two-lane road, and every once in a while, his car would veer off into oncoming traffic. After a few seconds would pass, he would correct himself back into his lane. But it happened over and over. He kept veering into oncoming traffic, and then he would correct himself into his lane. One time, however, he didn't have the opportunity to correct himself. He veered into oncoming traffic. He clipped a car coming the other direction, which caused the car to spin out, and the truck immediately behind him T-boned the vehicle, killing the two rocket scientists inside. After months of court deliberations and figuring many things out, Reggie Shaw was convicted of negligent homicide for hitting and killing two people while he was texting and driving, one of the very first cases of its kind. Focus. Focus means to put your mind to one thing while you get rid of distractions. Focus means to turn the TV off when your wife is trying to talk to you. Focus means to put the phone away while you're driving. Focus means to log out of Facebook while you're studying or working. So you ask, what does this have to do with our student or with Montgomery Ward or with the railroad industry? For an answer to that question, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the Pauline Epistle of Philippians, chapter 3. In this chapter, Paul is talking about his relationship with Christ in such a way that it will help us to understand focus. As I read this text, I would ask that you pay special attention to the last three verses I'm going to read, verses 12, 13, and 14. Because if you listen, you'll find the answer to our question. So, read with me Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, 
a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you look at the text... Paul says two things about focus. One, he says, I have not arrived. Read with me again the beginning of verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He is very clear in saying, I have not arrived. If we're honest with ourselves, we would all like to be in a place where we can stand here and say, I have arrived. We would all like to be the teacher who helps a student pull everything together after a quarter of struggling and pass the class and be able to say, I have arrived. We would all like to be the university president a year after attendance is way up and everybody is enjoying themselves and to be able to say, I have arrived. We would all like to be Apple CEO Tim Cook the year after iPhone sales have skyrocketed due to some new technology and to be able to say, I have arrived. Imagine a freshman in college. They get here after graduating high school. They stand on the campus and they say, I have arrived. Think about a college sophomore who comes back a year in, they look down at that freshman and they say, ah, I have arrived. Or think about a junior. Two years in, an underclassman no more. They're really getting used to it. And they say, I have arrived. Or a senior, only a few short months away from graduation, away from receiving that coveted diploma, and they stand there and say, I have arrived. Think of a faculty member finally getting their first article accepted into a peer-reviewed journal. They look at that article and they say, ah, oh, I have arrived. Or as a parent, your student comes home one day, getting close to graduation from high school, and they say, Mom, Dad, I'm valedictorian of our class. And you say, I have arrived. Or think of the businesswoman working her way to the top. 
And one day she receives a call from the chairman of the board who says, ma'am, we would like for you to be our next president. And she says, I have arrived. But then, look at what Paul says. He says, I am blameless, but I have not arrived. How can you say that, Paul? You just listed all your accomplishments. You just said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I am a diligent Pharisee. To the law, I am blameless. But I have not arrived. You see, Paul understood something very important about focus. And that is, when you're not there yet, you can't say, I have arrived. When the game is still going on, you can't stand there and say, I have arrived. My father tells me of a commercial that used to play on TV years ago before I was born. The scene unfolded into a football locker room at halftime. All these guys are sitting there dirty, sweaty, tired, and their coach is just tearing into them. Jones, why can't you catch the ball? And Smith, can't you learn to block somebody for a change? And Brown, I have told you over and over, this is how you tackle. And finally, one big, tired player turns to look at the coach and he says, but coach, aren't we up 28 to zero? And the coach whips around and looks at him and says, you see that? That is exactly what I'm talking about. As soon as you are satisfied with yourself as a football player, we are through as a football team. I have not arrived. Maybe the coach in this illustration realized something about what Paul was saying. He realized that you cannot say, I have arrived at halftime when you still have half a football game left to play. You can't live on the glory of days gone by and say, I have arrived. How many of you are familiar with the slogan of the NFL team, the Oakland Raiders? Their slogan is, commitment to excellence. Do you know how many games the Raiders have won in the last 10 years? <laughs> 52. That is an average of fewer than six games a year. To put that in perspective, the New England Patriots have won 49 games in the last four years. In fact, in the last 10 years, the Oakland Raiders have never won more than eight games in a single season. And those New England Patriots, they have never lost fewer than 10 games in a single season for the past 10 years. Talk about living on the glory of days gone by. The Oakland Raiders used to have a Hall of Fame coach. They had some phenomenal players. They've won Super Bowls. But if you pick out your favorite team's NFL schedule and you see the Oakland Raiders coming up, that's going to be a good week. <laughs> you cannot live on the glory of days gone by. 
do you have somewhere where God is calling you today? Do you have an area in your life in which you need to improve? If the answer is yes, for which it should be for all of us, you need to be able to stand there with Paul and say, I have not arrived. But Paul says one more thing in this text. The second thing he says is, but I press on. Look with me again at Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So how do we press on? Continue with me, the next two verses, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So to press on, we must forget what lies behind and strive toward the goal which lies ahead. Now, when I say to forget something, most of the people think of forgetting the bad things in the past. You imagine the teammate who says, forget about the fumble, it's time to focus on the next drive. You imagine the classmate saying to her friend, forget about the bad quiz score, it's time to focus on the next one. You think about forgetting the bad things of the past. And I thank God for that because he helps each and every one of us forget the bad things of the past, and he forgives us and moves on to the future. But in this text, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, forget the accomplishments of the past. Forget the good things, because ultimately, those good things aren't going to carry you to the future. It's time to forget those and move on. And the next thing he says Strive. Strive toward the upward call of Jesus Christ. Strive toward the goal. Striving. The student that works hours on the paper, writing, editing, revising, peer reviews, drafts, striving. The teacher who has taught for more than 20 years but continues to look back at each and every lecture tweaking little things so the students can better understand the point. Striving. The couple who has been married for 30 years, but they're attending a marriage enrichment seminar. Why? Because they are striving to become better people for each other and better people for Christ. Striving. So then as we look at these things, what does that really mean? Paul has said, it is time to forget about the past and strive toward the future. And if I think about that, and I want to put it in a way that I can better understand, I think Paul is saying, focus requires a bad memory and a good vision. A bad memory and a good vision. And I don't mean a bad memory in terms of forgetting something by accident. I mean a bad memory where you choose to let things go. And a good vision, the ability to look forward 
and see Christ. In fact, a preacher from many years ago, Clovis Gillum Chapel, helped me imagine the words in this way. A good vision means the ability to look past the molehills of eastern Washington towards the mountains of God, looming in the hazy distance, knowing that the future belongs to those who choose Christ in the present. Forget the past. Look toward the future. So the first thing we need to do is stand here with Paul and say, I have not arrived. But the second thing we need to do is realize we need to press on. And how do we press on? Forget the past. Strive toward the future. In just a few short months, I will be marching to the tunes of pomp and circumstance with many classmates. It will be a very exciting day for all of us. I will stand up on that stage and I will receive a diploma. And when I open it, I'll probably see a bill <laughs> telling me that when I pay it, I'll receive a diploma in the mail. But I'll get that diploma one day. And when I get it, I hope I can hang it on the wall, look at it and say, Lord, thank you for bringing me this far. Because without you, I wouldn't be here. But as I look at it, help me to forget the accomplishments of the past and ask, what's next? That is focus.